gentlemen i am here with michael blakely got it from equitas <laughs> who is focused around um basically bias and it's a beautiful thing bias and employment i should say and let's clarify then i'll get the mission statement from you in just a second here michael but let's go in a little bit into you who are you where are you from and what do you do around these parts uh so going way back before equitas or you can do whatever you choose to do on the path that got you to where you are right now. <laughs> yeah, originally from Northern Ireland, which is the overlap with how we've met Dave. Um, moved over to the UK. I spent a bit of time in China um, studying as well. Um, so like well-traveled enough um, for a Northern Irish person. Um, Career-wise, I started off at Aldi, um, supermarket chain, which is everywhere. You've even got them in the US now, we don't do. you as well? We awesome. Do. So they were good. Two years with them. Corporate life wasn't for me, um, but I did love recruiting and hiring um, when I was there. So I left, set up my first company and recruited directly for Aldi. They were my first ever contract um, nice. company I used to work with. So that was cool. Recruited all over the Northeast and then moved further and further south uh, until I landed in London. Um, and that stage, last sort of eight years, been freelance interview and assessment specialist. So that part of the process, whenever you're sat in the room doing an interview or doing an assessment center, it was always me on the other end. So um, claim to fame, I always say on every talk, is 10,000 plus people um, I've interviewed over the last eight years. So wow. seen some awesome people, candidates for some amazing companies. Um, people like Transport for London, maybe not big in the US, they're just based in London, of course, as well. Um, but big brand name here, uh, B Sky B television company, sure. and lots of public sector contracts as well. So. Yeah, interesting, varied career up until the point where I started Equitas. And to give you that one-liner for us, we're interview software to try and reduce bias from the hiring process. So those are always the same two problems that I used to see um, quite often for like companies that I worked with, um, which was it was never a digital process. It was me on my Todd trying to write down every single word someone was saying. So every bit of interview data I've ever had for those 10,000 interviews has been lost, yeah. <laughs> filed away, never looked at again. Um, but then hiring managers, a lot of them were great, but some of them could be super biased. And like Equitas has taken me on a journey of finding out so much more about what are biases, you know, how many of them are there in the world, how can it impact in the hiring process, how can it impact during interviews, and that's what we try and minimize um, at the minute. Wow, that's <laughs> touched on a lot of territory there. I can guarantee <laughs> I have not interviewed ten thousand people in my time. I mean, I think I'm working on about twenty five at this point, maybe more in my previous life. But so. You brought up a couple of different points here, and I want to touch on on them. You know, hiring process and implicit biases, right? Biases are always, you know, they're everywhere, right? And they can be positive and negative. Sometimes biases keep us alive. <laughs> I have a bias against this type of food product, for example, or I have this kind of implicit kind of running away. And, and a lot of times we conflate everything together, and all of a sudden it's uh, if you're biased in general, regardless of what it is, you are you are. It's not necessarily a good connotation, right? Um, so we'll touch on that in a little bit, but let's back up real fast because a lot of what goes into these things is the concept of community, right? You're hiring for a business and a business is basically creating a community. Aldi has a community. If you saw the news about Brewdog and Aldi, you know, like the, uh, there's, Ever. there's Very a perfect, ex yeah, perfect example of kind of a slap together community. It's kind of an interesting assortment of, you know, un you know, different type type of approaches. But so let's ask you, let's start there. What's your definition of community? 
I'd say community is a group of people who help and support each other. And they usually have some sort of similar or shared mission. And, and that's, that's where I draw it. One liner. <laughs> that is the that is the most you know you know succinct definition I've heard in you know I don't know a couple months of doing this. So, okay, that's that's excellent. So now we start from there and let's let's go into the hiring process. What are a couple of the uh, the notables that you've determined over these ten thousand plus interviews, specifically related to bias? What are some of those implicit biases that you found? So I'll I'll tell it from my journey. So whenever I started um, in the recruitment world, I had no idea what bias was or how it came in. And like, I used to have like, you know, the questions I was asking, you could have maybe Googled some of the time, best interview questions to ask people as well. And that's where a lot of people start off. And yeah. like, I'm ashamed to admit it now, but you know, it was just your most bog standard interview that you've ever seen in your life. So I had no idea what biases were or how it came in. And I thought, okay, just interview everyone as is sort of thing things that could come in um, that you'd not realize straight away. And there's a lot of people in the space who talk about it at the minute, like affinity bias. So if people are really similar to you, oh, they play rugby, you know, like I did back in Ireland, check, right? Let's get them through. They must be good. And it's just like every rugby player that isn't going to be an amazing Aldi, you know, store person or whatever it is, yeah, Michael, right. let's draw that on the line. Sure. But then your mind would also start to make some sort of like shortcuts and links as well. So there would be times where similar staff members, so you'd see like, oh, this person reminds me of so-and-so quite a lot, does not mean that they're the same person as well. Um, or you'd start to try and make these associations. Um, so Aldi, super fast paced, um, you know, really efficient. Oh, McDonald's is similar as well. And like sometimes you try to make that shortcut to make yourself think, oh, they worked at McDonald's, therefore they must progress through the next stage or be the next candidate. Now, some of the times it was true, other times, like not so much um, quality of candidate and didn't come in there. So as I progressed through on throughout my career, working for different people and like lots of different companies as well, I started to find out about bias and I was like, shit, every single interview I'm doing, I was just like, am I being biased or not? Am I being biased or not? Am I being biased? I really started to doubt myself with everyone that was interviewing and like went through a big period of that middle part of my career where I'm just like trying to make sure I was doing everything really fair, treat every candidate the same, no matter what their background was. I'm just super, super worried. Not to say that I didn't do it before. I just found out about all these different sort of impacts, you know, like it's someone a different gender from you. Sometimes people can be super biased on that alone and dig into things. And like throughout my career, there's so many times I've seen people, um, female people come for, you know, um, promotions. And I was like, why have you not been here? Like a year, two years ago, you're amazing. And, you know, there's lots of different sort of things that can come in um, there. So at the end of my sort of interview and assessment career, I got to the point where I was just like, if it's super robust materials and people have done a lot of research on what good looks like in the role, I thought you can minimize for all these biases and it's like sense check yourself, wash up with the like that group of people who's doing the campaign or project at the same time as you to sense check and make sure um, that you aren't being unfair to anyone from a particular background, job or wherever they're from as well. So there's so many different ones that can creep in. The one I give um, at the minute as well can be um, whenever it comes to panel or if there's multiple people involved um, for interviewing, um, there can be a bit of conformity bias. If you're in a room and everyone, I don't know if you've seen, um, there was a great study where they showed the length of different lines. Um, oh, and yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. yeah, room, four actors um, and one real person and they gave the wrong answer and the last person just conformed with it as well. Same thing can happen for panel yeah. interviews as well. If you're the last person to give your opinion and they're sitting there saying their score's coming around and it's three, 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 and you've got five written down, by God, you're probably not going <laughs> to stick with your five. You're worried that your opinion might be wrong there as well. Yeah. So conformity bias can be massive. And like even when it comes to those sort of panel interviews and there's multiple people and decisions, 
people can be influenced um, by other people in the room and not give their like true honest opinion on it as well. And like, yeah, it's there's so many areas where little bits of bias can creep in. Yeah, that's that's actually fascinating. I don't think I really thought about it. I had a responsibility in my prior job to where I am right now uh, of hiring folks. You know, so I was a manager, and you know, I had a I had a great team. You know, I like to say that I pat myself on the back. You know, hey, our team got along a hundred percent. And that was probably true. I mean, there was certainly distinct personalities in there, but we always had an axiom or a rule. And whenever we were going to interview somebody, everybody had to agree. So <laughs> like when you're saying conformity bias, I'm like, oh shit, I think I probably did that. I probably enforced the rigor behind that. Now, there's some nuance to that though as well, right? There are cases where if that one person disagrees and you decide to forego that, that particular thing, it's not necessarily that it's bad per se, right? There's potential that somebody saw something that the other people didn't and you're not you know it takes a lot of personality to kind of stick up and say no no dude hold on i i, I can't so i i think it's kind of working from both ends to a certain extent right there's also the opposite where it's yeah i don't like something and you know you can sabotage the entire kind of journey and that's a little bit harder to deal with yeah yeah sometimes conflict can be good um and just chatting about it in an open way um, can always be super useful and um, whenever it comes to that um, sometimes if people agree with, like across the board to make hiring decisions sometimes they always just get like a safe pair of hands in there and you're right that some of those people with potential could be missed out on um, and yeah it's difficult there's so many different facets to it um, it's unreal <laughs> I think you, you're kind of in a unique position though and that you kind of you've seen both sides of that coin, right? You've seen the good and the bad, and then you've kind of, you've worked with yourself, you know, you've tried to improve yourself in terms of how you do that. There's that inevitable philosophical boomerang, right? I, I start one way, I suddenly recognize, oh God, I have to, I have to correct and sometimes overcorrect. And then I get to a place where it's kind of that homeostatic approach to things nobody's perfect there's like i think the uh, is it was it at harvard that did the implicit association test and there's like at a te- like 10,000 20,000 people that did it there's like one percent of like what or maybe one person out of that thousands tens of thousands who had like next to no biases at all whatsoever and it's like a rudimentary test but it's still really interesting to see so everyone's still got something and it's just about like checking yourself a lot of the time and basing like the decisions on evidence not like how Dave made me feel during the interview he was yeah. a great guy really lovable you know we should hire Dave <laughs> it's like does he have a background in this particular area you know is it strong enough mm. <laughs> yeah. debatable debatable for <laughs> so when candidates come to you or you know, so let's position Equitas somewhere in, in the midst of this so how are you positioning yourself as the company within this kind of architecture, uh, this landscape, if you will, of employment, you know, what, what's drawing you to an employer or maybe to an employee? So it's, or an applicant, who, sorry. <laughs> so. Yeah. For, for the applicant side, that's easy. So like for the candidates or applicants, it's somebody who's like sick and tired of not getting any feedback from interviews. That's something we try and encourage every employer um, who uses us to do. Um, so just giving candidates feedback can be the difference between them getting the next job or not as well. Mm-hmm. For them, um, the, what we do with our interview software, it's a quicker and easier process as well. So interview delivery for the candidate, they actually save a bit of time. Um, the way we do that, we capture the audio and transcribe it to text. So there's no more written note-taking throughout interviews, whether it's remote or face-to-face as well. So candidate experience is actually like just nearly 10x <laughs> from uh-huh. doing it and um, but they obviously do have to share the audio so it can be transcribed as well so there is obviously a bit of an element of trust in there as well 
um, for the employers, they actually really need to want the change. Um, if they want a, one of these sort of like one-way video interview tools or video software that's just going to let them type in questions and like off to the races, good to go. That's not us. We actually want people who are going to invest time looking at their interview and uh, assessment materials and think, right, how do we improve this? You know, how do we make sure that we know exactly what good looks like for every particular role that we're hiring for? And anyone who does get on board with us will attest that like it does take a bit of time getting set up and good to go, but then you've got a super robust fair hiring process in place that you've spent a lot of time thinking about as well. So for employers, they need to make a bit of a time investment and they see the results. It can make sure that they've got a really sort of fair approach and super structured approach to hiring and whether it's one person doing the interview or whether it's a panel. Nice. So there's a broad amount of diversity within that process that they can, you know, can, they can pick from a really good pool of candidates and they can really judge the answers based on merit, not just, you know, who shows up on an application sheet, so to speak. I'll always focus on the evidence. It's what I've spent my whole career doing. I've been writing every single word down and that's my evidence looking at them. Not mm -hmm. the current jump that we're making in technology is like, what is the first 30 seconds of their video look like, you know? Do I like Dave? Yeah, straight through the next one. And like, that's the danger that we have. Like, yeah. I love the other video interview providers who are out there because they've developed this market for us. Yeah. But I, I don't agree with the approach um, that they take a lot of the time. And just sometimes it can rush people's decision making. And that's where bias creeps in even more. Um, yeah. If someone had given these little video sound bites and was like, bang, score off this, you could get to the point where you're just hiring like a lot of mini me's or like, yeah, just if you don't spend the right amount of time when you're hiring, it's, you can go off a cliff edge in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> we always had this axiom in sales, right? You know, perception is reality. And always, it always bugged me as a, you know, kind of a, from my psychological kind of background and sociological background, because that perception curve is so broken sometimes. You were mentioning it early on. I could, I could see the guy that looks like me. It looks, I identify them based on past behaviors with other people. And little do you know that they actually are different, you know, but you're judging <laughs> you're not the first 30 seconds, you know, it's, it's, we have this implicitly in society as well. You know, when you meet somebody for the first time, you're making a quick judgment. I mean, not, not for nothing. When I got to sit down with you guys back in March, you know, I had to make a quick assessment within 30 seconds, whether or not I understood. I couldn't, you know, I came to the table with biases. I had no idea what I was doing 99% of the time. But, you know, you, if you're willing to kind of let that slide, you're willing to let that aspect go, you suddenly discover you know, really cool stories like Equitas. You get to discover things like material evolution and Verdant Learning and all the companies that I've talked to as well because that per initial perception is just a snapshot, just a tiny snapshot in the totality of their experience that they could bring to the table, right? So. And I, I was reading an article that just went out the other day in one of the newsletters. It was from Lou Adler and it's super interesting. And he kind of says like, you can spend the rest of the interview trying to, um, make sure that that first impression is proven right. So if it's a super positive one, everything that they say, like, oh yeah, yeah, you can link that into what we're looking for there. Or it's like, if it's a really negative first impression, flip again, it's just like, this candidate will never give me enough evidence, no matter what, you know, oh, that's terrible. Like they didn't even, they, they didn't even like refine the company themselves. So yeah, it's, it's super dangerous. And it's like, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's proven right. If someone has a really bad start in the interview, it can go downhill yeah. from there. But sometimes that you'll be surprised and you get chatting to people and they might not be the most likable characters ever. And they might be the right person for the role, uh, no matter what. Yeah, sometimes you need those unsavory psychopathic yeah. characters. In <laughs>
I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty bad, right? You know, all of a sudden, hey, showing up. Hey, there we go. Um, yeah, so I married an axe murderer. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, you're all set. Um, so you mentioned something about trust kind of in the process of this. And I know we kind of in pre-brief talked a little bit about this, but candidates and trust. I mean, it's a, it's a huge dynamic to this world right now. And it's something I'm looking at specifically in my, my academic kind of brain research is really that dynamic of trust. What, how does trust manifest itself through your process? Yeah, it's, it's hard. So it's not a process that's always been done this way. And because you're capturing people's data, you need trust from both sides. So not just candidates, but employers as well. Um, for the candidates, we sort of, we always try and tell them why um, and why they should trust us as well is because the mission that we're on, we're trying to just capture the data so that we can reduce bias from the process. Like put things in there, be honest with the process. Like we're trying to anonymize the data and then start to analyze and start to see if bits of bias can creep in between interviewer and candidate as well. Um, and it's the same for employers. Um, when you're an early stage company trying to change the way things are done, um, they need to invest a lot of trust in you and that you've set everything up right, that you've got the right security practice in place loads. So yeah, it's like a lot of different parties need to trust you to get the company going and up and off the ground as well. Yeah, I'd say you handle a lot within that chain of custody, right? From, you know, employment IDs, employment you know, application stuff, the personal information in some, mm-hmm. some cases, right? So fitting within a, you know, a compliance and the governance um, context, you know, you, again, you have, your, you have your challenges, right? So there's government trust. There's also interpersonal trust, right? So again, like you're saying, you know, company to you, company to Equitas, Equitas to applicant. Um, how do you view, especially in this changing world, right? 2020 has gone to shit. There's no other way of putting it, right? So how do you view Equitas's mission moving forward in terms of engendering trust between applicant and, you know, companies and vice versa, especially given that everything has moved to this kind of digital, less face-to-face kind of perception versus reality kind of context? So I don't know if I'm living in a LinkedIn bubble or not, Dave, but it's like one of the biggest things that everyone <laughs> talks about in my sphere at the minute is just like candidate experience as well. It's just like, okay, they're completely changing the way they've done interviews, assessments, um, and the ones who are doing it the best are the ones who like communicate and are super clear um, because of it. But it's also just this massive opportunity as well, because if you're automating lots of parts of the process or making a fair process in place, why wouldn't candidates want to like come in and do it this way? If they're saving time, they're getting more feedback at the end of it as well. It's just, you really need to sell the benefits of moving to this completely digital approach and making sure they trust in you as well. Um, for employers, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult for them to go through it because like like you said, 2020 is just like hit a wall. So they're not just digitalizing one part of the process, they're trying to digitalize absolutely everything. Um, which makes it difficult um, for like what do they prioritize and for us in our market lots of people have uh, been on a hiring freeze um, at the same time as well so and in the UK we've got like the furlough scheme so a lot of people aren't sure in terms of like are there going to be a lot of redundancies what's unemployment going to look like next year as well so yeah it's it's a super difficult market out there at the minute Um, but yeah it's I think yeah it's it's a hard one to know to put the finger on. Uh, I, for sure. Uh, you know, again, you, you mentioned the furlough scheme and, you know, Ireland just went into lockdown or Republic of Ireland just went into lockdown again yesterday, um, yeah. you know, obviously, which is causing a lot of concern. And, you know, go back to a conversation I had with NetMinds, actually, and they noticed that during the course of, you know, what they originally wanted to do, <laughs> you know, changed in the course of the pandemic, right? They went 
you know, they started the Stitch Together universities. They wanted mentors and mentees, startups, and, you know, those kind of communities. And what they found was those folks that were on furlough or the folks that had been let go were less inclined to engage with their services than those who were already kind of employed or, you know, currently had time to spend. I would think in your case, it would be almost the reverse, right? Because once you're gainfully employed, you don't really, you don't worry so much about that in the moment. You really are trying to tap into the, the furloughed market, you know, the folks that, you know, don't know you know, whether they'll be able to return back to work or not. So when you look into 2021 and maybe a little vision casting from your, your perspective, what do you see as the big, I love vision. The visions are great. Uh, what do you see as the big, you know, a couple themes, if you will, about, you know, the employment market specific to what you guys do, um, but also, you know, broaden the scope, if you will. Yeah, I like, I've done a few webinars recently where I talk about trends and impacts because of COVID. So like, Number one, volume of applications people are going to be receiving. They're going to have to deal with a huge volume of applications because of people who made redundant, people who are unemployed um, coming through. So that's another reason that they're going to have to update their processes and make sure end-to-end it's digital and automated because their HR teams aren't going to get any bigger and not going to get a lot of additional budget um, with what's going on. So that's one of the trends um, that I see coming through. Um, one I always love talking about, um, I think it was Chris from ThriveMap might have highlighted this for me first, was the difference between employer brand and employer reputation as well. So there's a few super interesting articles, if you get a time to read them, where people build these brands over decades and then in the face of like a challenge or pandemic, they try their best to destroy them. <laughs> um, just with some really terrible like employment practice and change things. Now, I don't envy the decisions some of them had to make in terms of keeping the lights on, stuff like that but it could have a massive long-term impact on where people want to work um, in the future as well. So that's a second huge trend. Like HR tech, there's more companies popping up and starting up as well. So there's going to be greater adoption um, on top of that as well. Um, I've always said in the the sphere that we're in, integration first strategy, there's so many big players that sit at the heart of the market, all the applicant tracking systems, which are like CRMs um, for candidate journey as well. They're always going to sit at the heart. So people need like an integration first strategy. And the last one that I know that you're going to love as well is that people are moving beyond that awareness stage for whenever it comes to DNI. And it's actually taking action and being like, right, how do we change our processes? How do we change the technology that we use and try and make sure that we're fair in the way that we hire and that we're represented in the communities that we serve. So sometimes when it comes to DNI, if you're serving a super local community, you might not have the most diverse team, but it, as long as it's representative, you know, it's fine. If you're serving a global audience and you've got like a bunch of like identical people doing it who are sat in like one specific town, area, region, something, you're gonna struggle in the long run. You won't understand your customers. Yeah, if we could take one thing out of this year, and again, this is not to minimize anything that's happened to anybody. I mean, it, I've, I personally know people that have been affected. I'm sure you do as well, Michael. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like within the course of this year, if we can look at anything positive that's come out of this, you know, like you're saying, some of this is new types of engagement, new types of models, you know, people that are finally being freed up uh, kind of unwillingly, perhaps, but then willingly being able to step into that innovation space, right? Being able to call for startups that, you know, Ignite's doing right now, right? 2021 cohorts coming, right? But we have a lot of that kind of that kind of freedom now. A lot of a lot of folks are stepping into that. But if anything, it's been also a forcing function to start to challenge some of these issues that have plagued us all along. Like you're saying, DNI tends to be that one thing that we've talked about, but not a lot of movement's been made. And now all of a sudden you have this, like you're saying, a very, very diverse pool 
of sudden applicants, of sudden, you know, furloughed employees that are joining back into an available workforce and companies have to come to grips with the fact that what they used to do and Anor likes to say pale, male and stale, (laughs) you know, again, that's for board diversity. But if we look at the employment, um, employment space, it's, it's kind of a telling bellwether for, you know, diversity. It's no longer, am I going to reach out and go to that confirmation bias or that those assimilate, you know, similar bias type type folks. I'm not going to reach out to the guy I know I work with at McDonald's because, you know, if he did retail, he can do retail anywhere. I'm going to start to look at, I should be looking at that kind of diverse pool of, of folks that are coming. And I think it takes a lot of, you know, I'll say the word, it takes a lot of balls. It takes a lot of moxie. It takes a lot of effort and energy to put into that space in order to make those decisions. It may not look great, you know, and there's going to probably be steps that, are going to look like they're faltering for sure. But, you know, there's always, if you're willing to do it and you're willing to toe the line, you're, you're probably going to end up with a, a better pool of people. True, so. true, true, true. And like what, what we've seen back here is that it's just one particular aspect of it, but like referrals um, a lot of times some big tech uh, within the UK can always just go to the same universities time and time again, yeah. and not always super diverse pool of candidates coming from there. So it's it's starting to change like people are looking in different avenues different areas which is amazing and there's so many communities based in the uk and london specifically as well um which are really driving that and like there's a few of them i know and they're just i've never seen them thrive so much um than the current environment that we're in so it's it's awesome to see some communities who have been working so hard for the last you know like five years ten years plus whatever and now really starting to get some awesome traction in the space nice well, here's to a great 2021 then, <laughs> both Rack with us and as well as the employment pool, you know, God bless because, you know, it is, again, 2020 has been a train wreck. Besides some downsides, like you're saying, it's, it's kind of been all over the map. So I want to thank you for your time today, Michael. It's It's been great to reconnect with you. I know we've talked in the past and I hope we're going to talk in the future again as we kind of move forward. Always exciting to hear what you guys are doing and, and how you're, you know, creating diversity by by virtue of being who you are, which is an amazing thing. So thank you for your time today. And uh, here's to 2021. Cheers, Dave. Here's to 2021.